This is Robert Picard of the Holographic Doctor from Star Trek Voyager and Commander Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. You're listening to Mike the Birdman Dodd and the rest of the Twig crew on This Week in Geek. Did you grow up with the NES PlayStation? Star Wars cartoons and ABC TV? Do you like to think who would win in a fight between Batman and the Master Chief? Comics, games, movies, music, and TV. They're gonna tell you everything you need. Superheroes or nothing got your back. They're gonna save the world of geeks. Guys, what's going on? You're listening to This Week in Geek, and I'm your host, Mike the Birdman Dodd. Well, guys, it's the month of December. Things are starting to wind down here in the Twig Studios, but that means I've got a lot of time on my hands, and, well, you might think I'd be spending that playing Halo and watching the more interesting version of the adult universe. I'm actually reading for a change. That's right, I'm picking up good old-fashioned books. And as you guys know, we've recently launched our new show, these Warriors Are Terrible, now sponsored by Noble Knight uh, Games. I'll give more information about them a little bit later on, so I'm just kind of teasing it here. Um, and, well, we play role-playing games, and as you heard, we've been playing, or did play, recently Mutants and Masterminds, but we used a fan-made conversion set uh, using the Marvel superheroes for them. And that got me interesting because I wanted to look more into the Mutants and Mastermind publisher, and that's Green Ronin, uh, and these guys are based out of uh, Seattle. They've been around since about uh, the year 2000. They've done a bunch of really cool games. The things that I know them for mostly now is they do the Game of Thrones, or a.k.a. a Song of Ice and Fire roleplay, and they do Dragon Age from Bioware, as well as uh, DC Adventures and Mutants and Masterminds. And, well, I wanted to talk to the head guy over there, and that's Chris... Premis. That's right, his name rhymes with famous, and he's the president over there at Green Ronin. And I wanted to kind of get into the head of this guy to see what does it take to create an RPG company? What's it take to write and create in that kind of a headspace? And what's it like to do freelancing and design games based upon some pretty big franchises and licenses? So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Chris to the show. Hello. Chris, I got to say, it's actually really exciting to talk to you because when I originally filled out the form to talk to someone on your website, I fully expected to get someone from your customer service team or, you know, some mindless drone somewhere. <laughs> I didn't expect the president of the company to say, hey, what's going on? Well, we have no mindless drones, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have well-paid uh, drones, correct? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there, we have got uh, nine... Uh, people who are a mix of full and and part time, and you know everyone's got key stuff to do, and uh, you know we're all grown ups and professionals. So, uh. <laughs> well, speaking of professionals, Chris, I kind of want to know what is your backstory because I've been reading your blog, which you can find over at chrisprimus.com. There'll be a link in the show notes below, and I. 
and I've kind of read it, but I want you to explain your own personal history, basically how you got involved in RPGs, because it takes a certain type of person to get into role-playing games, I think, and an even different kind of person to pursue that as a career professionally. And the fact that you run your own company doing this, that's something not everybody who rolls the set of D20s can necessarily do. Right. Uh, well, so I got into role-playing games when I was 10 years old. Uh, it was 1979, I guess. And um, uh, it just you know, struck a chord with me because I was already at that time a big Tolkien fan and reading other fantasy stuff. And then uh, D&D was like that next step of you know, going from reading about exciting fantasy worlds to actually getting to play in them, you know? Um, and, uh, because of D and D I started to read dragon magazine, uh, dragon magazine at that time was not the sort of house organ. It became later it had a, um, reviewed and had articles from a bunch of different games. And so I also learned about different sorts of games. Um, I started playing like board games from Avalon Hill and other things like that. And, uh, just sort of contributed to my, my gaming education. And, uh, you know, when I was 13 or 14, my, my biggest ambition was that maybe I could write an article for dragon one day, you know, maybe I could get like a hundred whole dollars and wouldn't that be great. Um, and, uh, I kept gaming, you know, uh, into college and so on. And then, um, it was really, I guess, starting to go to Gen Con that made me think seriously about breaking into the industry. So I went to my first Gen Con in, uh, 1989 and, you know, pretty much like everyone in the industry is there. Um, and there's not, you know, booth babes or mindless drones who you're talking to at those booths it's the people from the companies yeah so um it you know it, it sort of made me see that that role-playing was kind of a lot like punk rock you know where there wasn't a big barrier between the people who do it and the people who love it you know or I, we all love it so i guess i shouldn't say that the people <laughs> you know the, the the people who play uh our games and so uh so then i just um started talking to people looking for open calls and freelance jobs and stuff like that um i did some articles for um an ars magica fanzine called red cap uh that a guy named peter hentges used to uh publish um and uh i was able to get some work my first real pro work was on a mayfair uh role-playing game called underground uh that ray winninger designed um and then after that it was you know once you start getting published it gets easier to get work you know as you meet people and make contacts and so on so i spent uh you know several years doing freelance work uh then i started my first company which was called simply ronin publishing and we published um rpg called the whispering vault for a while um that we picked up from a, another publisher um, and, uh, and then I ended up getting hired at Wizards of the Coast, um, at first to do role-playing game design. And I worked on some, some late era second edition books. Uh, like I wrote The Guide to Hell and I co-wrote Slavers with Sean Reynolds. I did a book called Vortex of Madness, stuff like that. Um, and then I moved over, 
to the uh, just formed miniatures division and and uh, helped design and launch the chainmail miniatures game, which is a whole suite of stories in and of itself. Uh, anyway, it was while I was at Wizards that I started Green Renin on the side to kind of keep my finger in the role-playing pie, as it were. Um, and then when I inevitably got laid off in one of Wizards, you know, classic mass layoffs, <laughs> um, uh, I just stepped into doing Green Renin <clears throat> full-time. So uh, that's kind of the basic overview. All right. So one of the things that I've kind of gathered, just one of you, you said something that really caught my attention, describing role playing as punk rock, how there's no real barrier there. You know, I, I, I would love to hear more about the, the culture surrounding uh, kind of game design, because it from all the people that I've had a chance to talk to, I mean, I've talked to people from Steve Jackson, I've talked to a couple of other, uh, other different freelancers, I've talked to people from Wizards of the Coast as well, and it just seems like there's this entire culture of role players that I didn't really know existed. Like, the people who design these games are people that also play them. They're not just suits who listen to committees and here, right. here's a proposal for something. What is the culture like in terms of design? It seems like it's something I want to know more about because I want to be a part of that, so to speak. Because it sounds like it's just this melting pot of creativity and there's no real barriers. Basically, no one's going to tell you no unless your idea really sucks. <laughs> well, there are people who will tell you no, but um, it's the, the, the similarity I find is that, that you know, punk rock uh, was all about do-it-yourself culture right uh you know you don't like the music being played on the radio fine you know make your own music um and and you know not just music people publishing their own fanzines and you know organizing tours and starting record companies and all that stuff um because you know in in the 70s and 80s and so on you know if you didn't deal with the major record labels like you know uh there was a time where you just didn't have options and then punk rock was essentially about saying to hell with that, you know, we're going to do our own thing. So gaming is similar in that respect. Um, in that, you know, it really just, it started amongst people who loved games, you know, amongst enthusiasts, uh, you know, D and D the, the first box set was hand assembled by Gary Gygax and his family at their kitchen table, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's the roots of, uh, of what we're doing. So, um, um, so it is, it is, I certainly see a, a similarity in that regard. There are, of course, larger entities, you know, like wizards and, and so on. Um, and, you know, there are people there who will certainly tell you no. But as, as things have changed over, you know, the 20 odd years that I've, I've been involved in gaming, uh, like technology has become really helpful in, in helping people do their own thing. You know, when I started out, um, if you were going to print a book, you really needed to print a minimum of like a thousand units uh, to make it cost effective to do so. Um, and, you know, there were no one was selling PDFs back then. Um, but now, you know, you because of print on demand, like you can do a print run of 20 books and take it to Gen Con if you want to um, or, you know, sell them online and so on. You don't have to even have books if you just want to sell electronically. And, you know, really the only uh, the only thing thing that you need to have is some reasonable ability to put the PDF together and you can start putting your own stuff out there. So it's, uh, 
it's cool. <laughs> you know, more creativity. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm seeing as like desktop publishing becomes more and more accessible. Like you said, having PDFs and everything. Now, looking at some of the products that Green Ronin has to offer. You guys have DC Adventures, and that's DC mm-hmm. Comics, and they're huge right now because of Batman, Man of Steel, uh, Arrows on television. Basically, DC, it's super hot. Basically, anything comic books is super hot right now. Um, video games is yet another big thing that's coming out, and that's kind of what I want to talk about, is you're the guy who designed the Dragon Age role-playing game. So I'd like, yes. so I'd, I'd like to know, from conception to end... What is it like to adapt a video game property or, or to design a game from the ground up to make it unique enough to stand out on its own for its own system, yet be easy enough to pick up? Basically, how do you make something like how do you make a role playing game, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> well, that's a broad question. Um, the uh, I mean, one of the, the good things about working with Bioware is that um, early on. Uh, you know, there. I went up to Edmonton to meet with them, and they, you know, showed me uh, the game and concept art, and you know, told me a bunch about the world and and all that. And in one of the meetings that I had, um, their lead system designer um, explained how their system worked, but was was quick to add like, "Oh, you're not going to want to try to use our system because." You know, essentially, it's built for computers to do things really fast, and on the tabletop, you know, it'd be a disaster. And so they they were never looking for me to sort of ape their system. They just wanted a game that felt true to the setting. So that was uh, that was you know a much easier thing to do because I didn't have to to try to to worry too much about matching their mechanics. Um, so you know, like Dragon Age Origins used a you know pretty finicky like uh percentile based system um and the rpg i designed is you know roll 3d6 add a number and and hit a target number so it's you know it's pretty vastly different um so basically you know the the thing about dragon age for me was that i had been you know, kind of pondering in the back of my mind like how i would do like an introductory fantasy game um, for years and Dragon Age seemed like a great property to do that with because it was going to have a fan base. Um, and no doubt a large part of that fan base wouldn't have tried tabletop role-playing games before. So here's an opportunity to go to a group of people who really liked the world and say, yeah, now here's a different way you can experience it, you know, either as a game master or as a player. Um, so that's why it was designed um, to start out with um, a boxed set that covered the first five levels of play because that allowed us to give people a game that was two 64-page books, you know, a poster map and some dice. So the idea was if you had never done RPGs, we weren't going to be like, buy this 500-page book and read it. <laughs> and then, fun. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so that that all kind of went into the the initial design um and uh you know it was going to be a class and level system uh because I, I at least was going to match that in from the video game because you know they had classes and things like that um but you know it was sort of an opportunity to uh to kind of take the class and level 
idea and kind of put my own spin on it. Um, the, the biggest part of that being the whole stunt system, which is really what, what differentiates the game uh, from other RPGs. Now, with the Dragon Age world consistently expanding, I mean, we've had Dragon Age 2 since this game's come out. We've also had, uh, well, they're talking about Dragon Age 3 right now, and it wouldn't surprise me if we see more about that at PAX East, probably coming up in March, because I know they had a panel there last year. Yeah. Some fa- fantastic cosplay there. I really wish you'd seen some of the people that had dressed up for this. Um, basically, what is Green Running going to continue to do with this particular uh, kind of property? I mean, because I was just looking on your website and uh, you have downloadable DLC for free for this and it's called Faces of Theldeus. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah, uh, Thedas. Thedas. I suck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you, and you have an interview in there with Felicia Day and I know Dragon Age has this huge fan community because yes. I know uh, Felicia's a part of that. Are you guys going to continue to support it? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, we, you know, what we've been working on for, I don't know, a year and a half or more, um, is the third boxed set for the game. Um, so basically set one was levels one to five, set two was level six to 10. And then we're going to essentially finish the core system with the third box, which is covering levels 11 to 20. Um, so, uh, you know, it'll allow people to do the, the higher level play. Um, and uh, we have other plans after that. I mean, you know, Bioware is continuing. Uh, you know, they're doing comics with Dark Horse. You know, they're, they're doing more video games. You know, this is, a, this is a core property for them. And, you know, we're happy to, to keep supporting it. When is the third box set expected to come out? Uh, well, <laughs> um, I hope... Uh, that we released the PDF in January, uh, but with um, with approvals, it's always tricky. You know, um, you getting something approved might take a day, a week, or you know, two months. You you just really don't know. Um, it depends on who you're dealing with, how busy they are at you know whatever else that they're doing, um, how many things that they want you to change because you know. If once they have comments, you have to make changes and implement them and then shoot it back. And it's a process. Yeah, I I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like people always want to know when, when, when. And and we play it like, you know, a little tight to the vest and, and it corks people off to some degree. But, you know, I don't like lying to people. And it's not that I'm intentionally lying. It's just that oftentimes I'll say what I believe at some particular point and then, you know, two months later, it, like, oh yeah, we're never gonna you know. <laughs> all the things that just happened that we're never gonna hit that date that I told people. And so I, I'm hesitant to be constantly giving these updates based on my best information that turn out to not be true. Um so <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of why we do things the way we do. Well, I, I got to say, just by looking over a lot of the Dragon Age stuff over the last couple of days, I'm really excited to see where you guys actually take this. And I really hope you get the January date. I really, <laughs> I really do want to introduce this to 
my guys because it's such an accessible world to really get into. And that's what I really like about um, role-playing games can be a wonderful introduction to some incredibly complex stuff. I mean, for example, uh, let's talk about one of your other games, uh, DC Adventures, which is I think you guys use the Mutants and Masterminds system as a basis for that kind of? Yes, uh, they they share the same system, so all the the books are are compatible. And it like you guys have all these characters statted out. I mean, you guys have two books of heroes and villains, which are go- some people in there I didn't quite expect. Um, <laughs> and, and it's it's really cool. Just I mean, even if you're not a huge role player, it's a wonderful introduction to encapsulate a character's history in just a co- just a couple of paragraphs and describe what their powers and abilities are. Yes, and just because uh, I, I I know several people that they they do not play games, but they buy the books because they're interesting reading. Yeah, there's uh, I mean you'll see a lot of kind of sneering at people who who buy uh, a lot of RPG books and and only play some of them. You know they do a lot of reading, and that's somehow considered to be like not as cool as you know playing everything. But uh, frankly, if you enjoy reading RPGs recreationally and you, you know, maybe pull some ideas from unlikely places to apply to whatever your home campaign is, like, good. You know, I mean, (laughs) if you want to use our Ice and Fire uh, campaign guide to learn a whole lot about Westeros, even if you're not going to play the game. Nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah, because actually, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I've had so many of my friends tell me, oh my God, you got to try Game G- Game of Thrones. And the fact that you guys publish a game based upon that, now I'm more inclined to, to check it out. And, my, and the way I'm probably going to do it is go through the role-playing game first because nobody forced my hand. Yeah. Then go to the show, then get to the books. And at least this way, it feels more organic to me, like I'm experiencing it the way that I want to. And that's what, like I said, role-playing can be a wonderful way to uh, get into properties uh, you never thought about. I mean, for example, with myself, um, I got into Call of Cthulhu very much by accident. Someone had told me about, ooh, it's monsters that drive you nuts. And someone had tossed me the main book for Call of Cthulhu back in probably 1996. I think were there. I think they were in second ed at that time, and it just caught my attention. And now I own well a crap ton of their books, and yeah. I've only ever played a few times because it takes a certain kind of group to do that. And by reading these different systems, I think you kind of get an idea what kind of games you can play with your friends. Now, obviously, role playing is open to everybody, open to interpretation, but certain games lend themselves to different kind of player groups. Well, you know, when I was uh, um, reading Dragon back in the 80s, I learned uh, a lot of what I know about Marvel Comics by reading their Marvel Files article. And I didn't play that Marvel RPG, but I read about the characters and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, cool. Here's <laughs> here's an article about the X-Men or what have you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so cool the fact that with, like, through magazines like that, I mean, I remember when Toy Fair used to be around. That's a magazine that should never have died. Mm. Um, and they would occasionally publish stuff on role-playing games. And it was always interesting to see what was going on on the other side of the GM screen, so to speak. I mean, one of the things, Chris, that I really respect you people that create these worlds 
is that you open it up to everybody to have fun. There's never. I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find the right way to put this into words, but it seems to me like there's this, like there's a lot more people getting into tabletop now than I think I've seen in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad that's actually starting to happening because uh, one of the things. Uh, and I, I don't know why I feel the need to tell this story, but I am. Uh, <laughs> on Reddit, they have this thing called the Secret Santa. And what you can do with that is you can gift some, some random person something. And this year I gifted someone a role-playing game. Mm. And I looked up this kid. I found out who he was. Once again, creepy stalker. Um, I found out who he was. And he's at just the right age. Where I got introduced to my first RPG, and I love the way my life turned out because it opened me up to be more, I don't know, it just, I felt like role-playing games, I, I really think they're a great way for kids to really share who they are, to have fun with it, to have fun with their imagination and pretending, and, you know, it's not necessarily immature to want to be a dragon warrior or, you know, be a, a monk or something, you know, it's fun, it's, it's accessible, and I really... I really am starting to appreciate role-playing more now that I'm in my 30s than I did when I was in high school when I was like 14 or 15. But it opens up a whole new level of geekery. And like you said, when you go to events like Gen Con, it's just everybody is who they are. It's They're very open. And conventions like that are a remarkably good experience. I mean, even PAX, which, as because you've been, yep. it's we're all gamers. There's no... There's no dividing lines there. Everybody's generally pretty friendly, and as Will Wheaton says, don't be a dick. Uh, and everybody <laughs> tends to follow uh, that. Uh, well, speaking of Will Wheaton um, and Tabletop, uh, he's got his uh, YouTube show called Tabletop, where he's been um, uh, featuring different games, um, playing them with uh, you know with other uh, you know nerd famous people um and actors and stuff like that and uh he's mostly been doing board games uh but in february he's going to be having two episodes um that i actually appear on running the dragon age rpg um for will and the nerdist and two other mystery guests so that yeah. sounds really friggin' exciting, actually. Yeah. So I'm, you know, hopefully, like a lot of people who haven't tried RPGs are going to see that and, uh, and you know, give uh, Dragon Age a whirl. Absolutely. I got to say, I'm really looking forward to that. So make sure you uh, keep in touch and remind us about that, because that's something I hope us and our listeners will definitely be uh, checking out. Yeah, the only frustrating part is that we filmed it um this past February. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's been done for a while, but they do an episode every other week. Um, and my episodes are the last two of the first season of tabletop. So it's been like, Oh, I really want to show this to people, but, uh, I have to wait for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that always the way that it goes? eh? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, Chris, as my final question to you, what is going to be coming up from you in, in the company in the upcoming uh, few months? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, so uh, next week, uh, we're releasing the Night's Watch book for Song of Ice and Fire role-playing. Um, this is a, a you know basically a whole source book um, that offers you different ways to play the game. Um, so in the core book... Um, the kind of default setup is that 
that you create a noble house and that you all play um, members or servants of, uh, of that house. And that's sort of the, the glue that, that keeps you together. Um, in the Night's Watch book, you have the option of creating a Night's Watch castle instead and having all your characters be part of the garrison. Um, or creating a wild tribe if you want to be on the other side of the wall. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're dealing with, uh, the, you know, things beyond the wall plus, um, the night's watch and all that stuff. So, um, it's a, it's a good fun book. It's got lots of, of great info about the night's watch, uh, history and characters and all that stuff. Um, question <laughs> <laughs> well say so, well chris i it's been really interesting talking to you and i definitely want to invite you back on on the show whenever you guys have something else to show off and we can look forward to that episode of tabletop with you and will wheaton uh coming up in february you said mm-hmm. and uh we'll definitely be offering ongoing coverage of the books that you guys offer oh i wasn't done but oh i'm sorry I, I <laughs> I didn't know if you had a question about that particular book. <laughs> I want to know more about it before I ask questions. Okay. Um, so also uh, we've got the next mutants and masterminds book, uh, the supernatural handbook uh, that's written by Lucien Solbon, um, who did hero high. One of our uh, most popular books for second edition M&M. Uh, and it's basically about do, you know, adding horror to your superhero game. So whether you want to do something like, uh, you know, Hellboy or add some Lovecraftian elements or what have you, it's, you know, lots of advice. Um, also, you know, a new organization called Arcade and, you know, characters and adventure ideas and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, so the PDF of that is available now. Um, you can also take advantage of a pre-order uh, where if you pre-order the physical book, you can get the PDF at the same time for five extra dollars. Uh, then that'll be in stores in January. Um, and then uh, hopefully Dragon Age Set 3 is going to follow that quickly. Uh, we've also got um, the final uh, DC Adventures book, uh, Universe, uh, that is in layout now. Um, so again, you know, you got to see about approvals and stuff, but, uh, hopefully that'll be appearing, you know, the first quarter of next year. Um, and then the long awaited Emerald city box set for mutants and masterminds, um, which is, uh, we, we've been slowly introducing this new city setting for the game and this is its, its big set. So it's going to be a slipcase with three books and a poster map. Um, so it's got like a player's book, a GM's book, and then a full length, adventure um in a slipcase so it's pretty meaty and awesome i gotta say i really kind of want to see that so hopefully we'll get a chance to see that like you said first quarter of 2013 right mm-hmm. come on pax east um <laughs> that's where i'm hoping you guys will be there so work on it um uh, but chris like i said it's been a lot of fun actually talking with you and you're so enthusiastic uh, about this stuff and that's something i've noticed amongst every one of the role-playing people that I, I, I've talked to you guys are super jazzed about your jobs and that kind of makes me more jazzed as a player and knowing the people that design these things are just as excited as I am to go out there and actually play them. Well, you kind of have to be because, you know, <laughs> no one would work for the money that we work for, for a job that sucked. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're also very honest too. I love that. 
<laughs> well, you know, look, I, you know, I've, I've loved this stuff since I was a kid and, uh, you know, having an opportunity to, to do that for a living and, you know, to run my own company and, and publish my own games and work with awesome people, you know, um, other than the money, it's a pretty great job. I got to say, I am incredibly envious of the success you've had and just the fun you get to create these worlds. I mean, like you said, the pay may not be great, yeah, but the rewards are far above any riches that we can provide you with. So <laughs> thank you for creating some really cool stuff, Chris. I sincerely thank you for this. Oh, well, you're welcome. I, I hope to keep doing it. I absolutely hope you do, too. So I want you to hold the line for just a second. Okay. All right, guys. Well, that was my interview with Chris Pramus from Green Ronin Publishing. You guys should really go check out their stuff. I mean, it's really flexible. It's cool. There is a ton of stuff for mutants and masterminds. Their games continually get support. So be sure to check these guys out. If you see them at a local convention, go check them out at your local shops, wherever you can buy role-playing books or get their PDFs. Like my, uh, my iPad is filled with their books right now. It's a lot better than lugging around a backpack when I was in high school with books. Cause I'm pretty sure that's how I've got back problems now, but anyway, guys, so be sure to check out, uh, their stuff. Like I said, there will be a link included in the show description and we will hopefully be playing, uh, more of their games on these warriors are terrible in the upcoming months. Uh, I think I'm going to dig into the dragon age games just so I can, uh, see what this is all about. And hopefully you guys will hear more about that on twat in the upcoming months. So guys, until next time, I've been Mike, the Birdman Dodd saying have a safe and happy holiday. And of course live free or die hard. We'll catch you guys again next time, right here on this week in geek.net. Want to see me make bubbles with my spit? Sure do. In fact, that's the theme of our next show. So don't miss it. What the hell happened to George Lucas? <laughs> oh my god, there's snot on my face. And I'm your host, Mike the Birdman Dub, but I'm not a join. Not a join. What the f does that mean? F that. Ten seconds. <laughs> no, you gotta keep that. Let's do this. Let's do this right the first time. <laughs> f you guys. <laughs> Ew, it's in my mouth. Oh god. Oh, what's it taste like, Mike? Water. Ew, salty. Let's start this episode with a shat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'm good, Geico. Holy shit! Oh my gosh! Freak! Die, 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 die! Holy crap! Whoa, whoa! Whoa, my god, whoa! Where did it go? I'm like a stupid monkey. As you can imagine, they... They don't let us out much. You've been listening to This Week in Geek. Tune in next week to hear... Um... Somebody random. I don't know. Maybe even a hot chick. Yeah, let's go with that. Did anyone ever tell you that you were very, very sexy? How well, actually, no. They never will. Check out our website, thisweekingeek.net, for more geek content, as well subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or any podcatcher. If you'd like to comment on this episode, head to this episode post on thisweekingeek.net and comment through Facebook Connect. Or you can call our voicemail line at 817-717-7202. Send us a Twitter message by at replying to at This Week in Geek. Lastly, you can email us at feedback at thisweekingeek.net. This extra music was produced by Pronobozo at P-R-O-N-O-B-O-Z-O dot com. We'll see you next time, and remember... Lower your shields and surrender your listenership.